This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. everyone, this is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals podcast hosted on the Be Here Now Network. And my guest today is the very dear, wonderful Michael Berryman. Michael, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to have this conversation today. Well, good afternoon, Chris. It's great to be with you. Yeah, thank you. So before we get into this, I want to quickly read your bio for anyone who isn't familiar with your work. Um, Let's see here. Veteran actor and horror sci-fi genre icon Michael Berryman is a native of Los Angeles, California. He was born prematurely with hydrochrotic extradermal dysplasia. Did I Very good. All right. Thank you. A rare condition leaving him with no sweat glands, hair, fingernails, or teeth. Michael's father was renowned neurosurgeon Sloan Berryman, and his mother, Barbara, was a registered nurse. Michael, as a young child, had extensive cranial reconstruction at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. Michael took all the challenges and turned them into a golden career in film and television, thanks to legendary film director George Powell discovering Michael, who at the time owned and worked at a gift shop and art gallery in Venice, California. George cast Michael in the Western Doc Savage. Then shortly after Michael was cast in the Academy Award-winning film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, from there Michael went on to co or two star, excuse me, as Pluto in Wes Craven's cult classic, The Hills Have Eyes. Additionally, Berryman has appeared in such films as Weird Science, Star Trek IV, The Devil's Rejects, and many, many more. He has also appeared in more mainstream roles, such as comedy Spy Hard and the family favorite Scooby Doo. His many television credits include Tales from the Crypt and X Files. Michael and his wife Patty own and run a farm in Northern California where they have walnut, apple, pear, cherry, persimmon, Persinum, per, persimmon <laughs> and plum orchards and also raise their beloved horses. Michael enjoys baking fresh fruit pies. I love that bio, Michael. As I was saying to you before we hit record, it was longer and I cut it down, but a lot of really great stuff in there. So I reached out uh, to Judy, um, who helped set up these uh, interviews and wonderful, wonderful person that I've worked with for many years. And she actually helped me 10 years ago when you and I spoke um, for my website, The Indie Spiritualist. And I remember that conversation because I was interviewing you for a new horror movie that you you were working on at the time. And I remember it so specifically because we ended up talking mostly about organic farming and horses and, and life. And I loved that. It was such a nice surprise for me. 
And last week, I believe, I was watching the new Cursed series on uh, Shudder, which I absolutely loved. And lo and behold, there you are on the Crow episode. And it took me right back to that first conversation we had, how, you know, even in this film that's, or, or this show talking about, you know, well, yeah, horror, tragedy, upset, you have such a way about you, how you come across and you talk about, you bring the, the human experience into everything you do, at least as far as I see in the conversations and interviews. And, you know, I was just inspired to reach back out to Judy to have you on the show because it's been so long. And especially in these tr very interesting times we find ourselves in, I thought you'd be a wonderful voice to have on the show. So that said, Michael, um, I, again, appreciate you taking the time. And um, so, you know, I, when I was watching you speak during that episode, um, and like I said, it just, your passion rang through and, and just your humanity. Is that something you find that you've naturally embodied in your life? Or, and I ask that because someone like me, I've had to work with meditation and various practices for 20 plus years um, because I, I hated myself. I, you know, I was suicidal and uh, had drug and alcohol addiction and, and, you know, ended up in the psych wards and, um, you know, jails and all of that. And it took a lot of work for me to come back for you. I don't know. Some people just embody it. I want to talk to you about that. Is that just who you've always been? Did you have to do anything to get to that place? Um, nice lead in, Chris. Uh, and the congratulations on your, all your hard work uh, in, that you just expressed in your life. Because, uh, um, for instance, when we were working on Cuckoo's Nest, uh, 127 days, we spent two weeks with uh, six-day weeks uh 10 hour days and, and we had to spend uh, at least two hours a day uh, in small groups with real patients. And we learned everything from uh, the young and dumb, uh, you know, people, alcohol and drugs and yeah. get themselves in trouble um, from full blown schizophrenia to uh, ar uh, ar arsonist to geriatric uh, and dementia situations and all of that. Um, uh, that was very revealing. Now, when I, I was born premature due to the um, chromosomal uh, uh, um, disfiguration, there's a good word, of my, fa of my father uh, because of his genes because he was a physician. He was a Navy surgeon. Uh, he completed his residency and then had to go off to the South Pacific during World War II. And then he went to Korea after that. He he did go to a special um, mission uh, that was top secret to examine the civilian population at Hiroshima. I've mm. uh, got a few photographs which will always remain private. I will not put them in my book. Mm. And they are vaporized human beings against walls. They have been turned into... Uh, I imagine certain portions of the of the city, I'm sure, have been turned into a memorial. Um, but I, I am positive that the radiation of being in a hot zone right after they dropped a bomb had to have affected him. And so I was born uh, about six weeks early, and uh, it, it's public knowledge in, in so many interviews and Google, et cetera how the birth effects uh, affected me. Um, 
the craniect the fused skull and the craniectomy uh, was required uh, I think age three or four I forget which and so life was different for me my parents my mom was a nurse my dad being a, a, a surgeon well um I did have friends. I had, uh, before I started school in second grade, um, I had uh, a, real, a real good buddy who had polio and he had uh, metal braces. So he walked in a gawking fashion. Um, I don't have Corona-19. I just been outside. Oh, uh, I have allergies he, right now too. I understand. Uh, he uh, had just uh, the kindest spirit. His, 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 he had an older sister, and his parents were very, very honest with him about his condition and very loving parents, very grounded, very honest in any topic. They wouldn't sugarcoat things, but also they wouldn't answer certain queries uh, in the manner of, oh, well, if I scare the kid or if I tell them this or that, they, they won't do that, or or even if it's uh, an observation of somebody else or a situation, why is this person different? Why is this situation the way it is? Mm. So that uh, honest reveal to um, the intersection of, of, of time and, and awareness and, and the, the development of awareness um, was very, I was very keen on that. I had a, a, an aunt, uh, um, Aunt Peggy, she was uh, Scottish, and she was a charge nurse at L.A. County General. During the family uh, dinners, Thanksgiving or Christmas, they, after a couple glasses of wine, they, they would really get to telling stories because my sister, my mother, my great aunt, and my great niece were all nurses. So they would start sharing stories, and then they would come around to where Peggy would well, you would, you would want her for uh, a nurse if you were a patient. And she could make a seasoned uh, doctor uh, cry. Oh, yeah. wow. So witnessing honesty, witnessing uh, strength, uh, being a young child with a difference, trying to figure out how I fit in, the acceptance factor was very comforting. The outside world was different, of course. Um, wearing a hat to protect from the long rays of the sun, obviously, uh, and also uh, to kind of hide, you know, the top of the noggin. Uh, of course, uh, all of the standard cliches of behavior, uh, happy, sad, mean, not, understanding, laughable, all of that, of course, uh, um, panned out over the years. So I always do a roundabout answer to questions because the topic is is paramount and and the um, the layers of, of, of uh, shared consciousness I believe are um, necessary mm. you, you know you can't just say what's that it's a table right. uh, I would get into what's it made out of uh, where, where did the components come from so to me that is an education so so spiritually um, uh, I, I had to go to Catholic school because my mother was Catholic and uh, Cardinal Manning, uh, L.A. Archdiocese, I believe that was his name, um, demanded that they paid for the tuition to go to Catholic school or they wouldn't allow my mother to be married in the Catholic Church. 
so and my father being Presbyterian and, and uh, uh, man of the world and 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 uh, he, he thought we would get a better education publicly and I would be exposed to more uh, uh, of life and kids in the real world sooner than later. Uh, it was fine. Uh, I, I did learn a lot of Catholic, uh, Bible, etc., catechism. Um, I went, my mother picked the school that all of the Catholic movie stars and TV stars and families sent their kids. So, of course, you know, when I was an altar boy, there was Dennis Day, Red Skelton, uh, Anthony Caruso, uh, Ray Montgomery, all the others, and um, Patrick Horgan, uh, I mean, all, all, all the standard people, which was interesting because then you come home, you see them on TV. Well, the spiritual aspect for me uh, was, was very highly imbued with my grandmother, my mother's mother. Her name was Sophie. She was very, very, very sweet. She taught me how to cook, how to bake. She had wonderful um, little isms. Uh, I'm moving the cursor. And it's, there we go. And, and, and she would go uh, say things like, um, describing human behavior. Like someone who selfish says, me, my, mine, you know, and, you know, and her father was a doctor and, and taught her a lot of wonderful things. Now, going back to Billy, when I saw him being teased or some kid, and I'm very young, I'm probably second or third grade, some kid tripped him. And I knew that that was uh, very mean and behavior. So I just got in the kid's face. And I'm very, I'm just a young kid and I'm, I'm in his face and, and, and I go over to I think a teacher and I said, you know, you better do something about this because uh, I want to be all over this kid. Mm. I wasn't a feisty fighter. I, I had a feisty sense of uh, right and wrong. So a lot of that comes about from uh, ha ha being different and being ostracized and being teased. Okay, that uh, goes without saying. So. I always saw that behavior as ignorant. Mm -hmm. I always saw that behavior as inappropriate. And at the same time, I always wondered who taught them that. Yeah. So I was fortunate to have good mentors. Um, and uh, that's kind of how it started. And well, thank you for sharing so openly about all of that. Um, and just listening to you share now, um, you know, and, and thinking about watching Uncursed last week, I, you know, listening to you and it's just, it seems like it's important for you to always include humanity and these life lessons that we all experience, you know, when you're discussing things, even when it comes to horror, you know, like that's, yeah, you know, that's why I was taking away from that cor the Crow episode. Um, you brought a whole nother uh, dynamic to that episode and. And I loved that. Um, so you mean the movie? Uh, yes. When you're talking about the movie, the crow in the cursed episode. Oh, understood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just, of course. just the way you approached and, and responded to those questions. And I felt your emotion at the end when you were talking about um, when people would say, you know, it's a cursed film and you were saying how that was disrespectful and, and I could mm -hmm. feel like that emotion. So um, I really appreciate that about you that, you know, you really embody the life and and bring it into all that you do um 
So maybe you could talk a little bit about the importance of people, including life lessons, you know, in conversation, in, you know, whether they're being interviewed or just in general, like when, when people talk to one another, so often it's, you know, it's so just light and how's the weather, what's going on and, um, you know, lacking substance, I find. And yeah, so a lot, a lot of times in those uh, uh, veneer conversations, uh, they're not necessarily shallow. That's a little more judgmental, but yeah, sure. a veneer, it's it's the wrapping on the box uh, of the gift. And what is the gift? The, the gift to me is always light. Um, you know, it's the reveal. Um, and uh, light will allow you to see and not stumble, perhaps. Um, Bringing those elements into even uh, horror, uh, well, it's a real, it's it's real simple because if it's, if it's horrific or even if like my my dear friend who uh, we have lost him, uh, um, uh, he was in the movie uh, Last House on the Left. And, um, uh, David uh, David Hess. Mm. He plays a hideous hideous character. You know, they rape and murder that that young woman. Um, well, it was early in his career, and you know, it was a paycheck. But he played it so thoroughly that you have a rep- it, it, it's a repulsion. Yeah. Uh, mm. uh, my theory on on splatter, for instance, or when it's just gratuitous grinding of a fight goes on way too long. <sighs> Uh, I uh, I just changed the channel. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad that stunt coordinators and cinematographers and action directors can do all that, that they do. Uh, it, 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 it's valid. You, you have every right to do so. But if you're going to play a bad person, you play a bad person to the hilt so the hero can have a bar to reach and you can compare as a viewer, wow, uh, who would you be in that situation? Uh, that's kind of a real basic beginner's um, uh, understanding uh, of humanity in, in performance. And also, on a day-to-day basis, when we meet people, it's actually, you could consider it a performance. Mm. It's just that, you know, it's not a structured uh, in a theater or on a stage. It is a performance. What are you performing? You're performing a social function. Yeah. And uh, when you are performing a social function... It usually requires, depending on the uh, mental of the people, uh, how many, it usually involves an acceptance of the parameters and also an acceptance of uh, I will honest, honestly engage in such behavior. So that's why deceivers uh, are not very high on my list. Sure. Uh, deception. Um, um, manipulation, you know, all of those elements that could be uh, conveyed on various nameless people that are, you know, presently being discussed um, on, in, in many zip codes. There, I you know, let them off the hook a little bit. So if you're going to, and I've dealt with people that were, uh, I mean, dangerous uh, uh to the point of, uh, you know, well, I believe that they've murdered people um, just in situations that I, I will never reveal. But in, in uh, uh, a social contract with uh, 
keeping someone safe, for instance, mm -hmm. because I had connections through law enforcement and ex-military for safe houses, networks all the way across the Northern Hemisphere. Um, I'm going to jump forward in time to Las Vegas when I was on my way out to do Motley Crue uh, for Vince Neil to uh, open up, do a little shout out and a little uh, video uh, um, for his little restaurant he opened up. Mm -hmm. When I was in McLaren Airport getting ready to fly back, it's a small little airport, there's two uh, good looking gals, man, sitting next to me, uh, two blondes. I admit I am partial to blondes. <laughs> anyway, um, we were just having a lovely conversation. And one of them uh, left, they're probably 30 maybe, and one of them left uh, the table to go freshen up. And while she was gone, I asked her friend, I said, when is your next flight? She says, well, I've got about 20 minutes. I says, okay. I said, do, do you, is it okay if I ask you a personal question about your friend? She says, sure. I says, I get the sense that she's in some kind of uh, danger or strife. Um, I, I get a sense that she's about to make a, a decision that is very, very profound in, in her life. It's none of my business, but uh, if, you, if you feel comfortable to share it with me, uh, perhaps, you know, we can have a conversation. Mm. And she started the conversation and I said, oh. If she loved him more, he would stop treating her the way he does. Mm. And just like nodded her head. She goes, yeah, it's one of those. I go, great. Um, so when she came back to the table, um, uh, because I prefaced it with w the safe houses, I used to work for a bail bondsman on occasion, make extra money. Yeah. Been down there. I've seen a lot of things. Yeah. And, and I've been... In the, in the crosshairs of situations, and you have to make a choice. You, you could run away, but sorry, homie, don't play that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lip Color is funny. Oh, I love it. It's a classic show, yeah. It's honest. Yeah. So, so she came back, and I just very quickly said, um, you know, um, do you have any kids with this person? No. Are you married? No. Any conjoined property, uh, car, mortgage? No. And I'm going, wow, so far she's really lucky. And I said, okay. Um, do you really think he'll change? And she goes, well, you know, I, if I just showed him how much I care and how much I see the good in him. And then I said, okay. I says, I don't have a lot of time left. You have to make a decision and you don't know me from Adam. You know me from a movie, big deal. But the bottom line is I can make a phone call and the person on the end of the line is with Interpol, ex-special ops, military, has connections for the Northern Hemisphere. If you need to, they, they will come to where you are helped you get all of your belongings and important papers. You get one shot at it, get it all one time, no pets either, uh, which is helpful. And then they will help you disappear and make sure that Mr. Wonderful does not harm you. The only agreement that they will agree to is that you get help, you know, some therapy or friends and family, and that you have no contact with this person for the rest of your life. 
if you can agree to that, I can make the phone call. And she handled a little bit, and I just looked at her. Her friend was, you know, trying to, you know, encourage her. And I just said bluntly, I said, would you like to be not dead? Mm. And then she cried, and she said, uh, please call your friend. I gave her a pad of paper, and I gave her a pen. I called my friend, and I said, I have a client. And all this is paid for, all this is covered through these people. And she made a phone call, wrote stuff down, said goodbye, hugs, never saw them again, ever. So that is just how I have lived my life. Now, when I was a young child, I, I, I loved comic books. I loved sci-fi, uh, horror movies. And they weren't gruesome and bloody and splatterly. They were just, you know, awesome. Yeah. And like in The Wolfman or in the, uh, Frankenstein, there's so much empathy in, the, in those main, in those characters. Uh, Dracula, yeah, kind of on the fence with him. Um, but um, I just just lost my train of thought. Um, kick me back in. Sure, we were talking about. As a younger per- child, you were interested in horror sci-fi. I, I had the, uh, I wanted to be a, uh, I wanted superpowers. Ah, yeah. Uh, not necessarily Superman, anything along those lines would work. I had vivid dreams where I would put on uh, some uh, rubber fishing boots and I could, in the dream, it was lame, you know, flap your arms and fly. Yeah. And I could fly around the universe. And that was kind of cool. Yeah. But I always thought it would be awesome uh, especially when I started to understand and see newspaper headlines, etc., and the news. I wasn't naive. I was pretty smart. And, you know, kids absorb a lot. And I realized just like in school, you know, there's a lot of inappropriate behavior and made me wonder, you know, what's wrong with the parents? What's wrong? Why are these kids this way? You know, a lot of times back in the, back in the late 50s and early 60s, and even today in some areas, that people go, well, that's how kids are, mm-hmm. you know. Well, you, you get in trouble if you just deck them, you know, and then they might come back and every cross. So there's got to be better ways uh, to try to deal with this. So uh, in my book, I mentioned without names or zip codes or uh, precise situations to protect uh, innocent people. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I, I was a rescuer. All right. The first major relationship was. uh, uh it was great until it wasn't, and when it wasn't, it was dangerous, and uh, you know, gu- uh, guns and threats and all kinds of behavior. Uh, you know, uh, we went our separate ways after six or seven years, and at least I knew that they were in a safer place. Yeah, would have been great, but sometimes out, outside, in, there are sometimes there are people that are that just insist upon uh, causing grief, and you know. Philosophically, a lot of people say, "No, well, there's no real good. There's no real bad. You know, you know, nothing's really black and white. Um, yeah, forgive, forgive, but don't forget. You know, really, <laughs> uh, boy. Uh, you know, yeah. Buy me a couple. Buy me a couple brewskis, and we'll have a longer conversation. <laughs> it's going to take a while. Yeah." So you you know Michael so first of all everything you're saying is is wonderful um it I love that we are on you know the same page in so many regards and even going back when I was in high school this was in the early 90s in a rural town in Connecticut um 
I had friends that were gay or African American, and in a rural town, you know, they were minority doesn't even do justice and it was a very closed-minded area and uh i too am a rescuer and you know i would stick up for them and i would get you know in all sorts of trouble just because i was standing up and and you know some of them were afraid as far as gay speaking to come out because understandably they didn't want to deal with that and uh i'm sure that that you know caused whatever turmoil it did for them having to hide that um but so that said, um, you mentioned performances and you mentioned um, acceptance. And, you know, I'm thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how that's high up there. And, you know, we wear these or we do these performances. And I actually just wrote an article for Fangoria uh, not too long ago about the masks we all wear, which to me is kind of like you saying performances and how, um, you know, that. Of course, we have to wear masks at certain times, you know, if we have a job or we're a parent or whatnot, but so many of the masks we wear are unnecessary because we're afraid of letting others see our raw, vulnerable selves. We're afraid of not being accepted. We're afraid we won't fit in. We're afraid of being criticized. And uh, I'm bringing that up because as I think I mentioned, um, I work with teenagers in the mental health field and so many of them understandably wear these masks i was very lucky early on where um you know the music i was introduced to like punk rock and and you know all this stuff kind of at an early age started to unplug me from the matrix so to speak and uh start to find my own identity and but i recognize and i know that's that's rare um and so a lot of these kids are are turning to drugs and alcohol and self-harm and you know they have uh, 14 years old I'm telling you, Michael, I've been working with these kids for five, over five years and seeing 14 year old boys coming in from an honest suicide attempt or all of the cuts on one of the young girl's arms is devastating to me. It never gets easier. But, you know, the light, which you talked about, that's what I try to bring in. And and the beauty is all of the success stories. There are, of course, tragic stories, too, but trying to, you know, let them know that I've been there. It, it, it. It changes. It gets better if you just stick it out. So my my question to you is, you've been there too in different ways, but you know what? Say you were talking to a teenager right now that's, you know, the world's still kind of confusing and they're wearing these masks because they don't know what else to do or they're turning to drugs and other behaviors that are not self-serving for them. You know, I'm not usually one for like giving advice, but you know, what would you say? And I ask that because I love to get input from other people because it helps me then in turn bring it to the people I work with. Um, so, what um, what I would say is, um, I can tell tell a story. It's not a parable because I'm not the carpenter. Mm-hmm. No, I got you. No, Christ, I yeah. got you. <laughs> um, I lived at a wolf sanctuary uh, in uh, Southern California, Wolf, wolf Mountain Sanctuary, with Tanya Carnoni, Native American Mescalera Apache, and we would be. Uh, she put on wonderful powwows, invited uh, families, tribal dancers, and uh, from all over Canada and the United States. Wolf Moon powwow we did it for many years. Mm. And we we would we, we for two years in a row we went to Tuba City, which is the, the Navajo capital, and uh, it, it it's a it's a fairly wealthy nation. But if you ever been to a reservation, 
boy, it's tough. Mm. A lot of alcoholism, a lot of situations. So what it, what it is called is the stars of the desert. So people who are stars, either tribal dancers that you know, are, are highly regarded, chiefs of other tribes, uh, people mostly in film and television, like Wes Studi. Um, I, I, I was invited uh, two years. Um, and uh, we, we, we attend for about four days and we, we, we go to a lot of functions, you know, a powwow, a, a barbecue, and it culminates, uh, it's all for the kids, and it culminates on, on uh, the last day, I think it was Sunday, I'll just say it was Sunday, and there's an auditorium and it's all the parents and all the children. And we take turns, uh, about three or four of us at a time, and then we, we read the achievements every year of the children, of every child, and then they come up on stage and they get a certificate, you know, and everybody goes, hey, what job well done. So as we're doing this, and, and of course, during the time we were there, we, we caught, we were caught up with, because we asked the questions, you know, what is society like here, you know? Yes, there, there's spouse abuse, there's alcohol and drug abuse, and, and then there's kids get scholarships, the whole, the whole nine yards. So we're here and uh, we are uh, applauding all these children, you know, scholarships, uh, this scholastic achievements, sport achievements. And then in, in front of the stage, there was a, a family uh, that had a, a young, young daughter with, um, she didn't move quite normally, cerebral palsy. Okay. And she was smiling and seemed very, uh, very beautiful spirit. And so I get one of the index cards and, and ta-da, well done. You're, you're going, to, going to college, great. And then I get the next one, and here's what it says. And this is the young girl in front. Yeah. Close, because she it takes her a while to get up on stage. So I'm a professional actor, and I'm doing the best I can because we're going to, you know, help these kids and parents be proud. And I've got it totally together. Well, it was rough because I go, Mary. Mary is, I'll just say 12. Mary is 12 years old. Mary has cerebral palsy. Mary works really hard on her, on her studies. In February, she was uh, shown how to hold a spoon. And she would attempt to eat a bowl of peas. They roll around a lot. It was a uh, a challenge uh, for dexterity for her physical therapist, and of course she would eat other meals. But the peas, this was this was a challenge. Yeah. And now that this is like now it's like September. Two weeks ago, Mary ate an entire bowl of peas and emptied the bowl, didn't drop a single pea. I'm trying to keep it together, and I'm going, well done, Mary. That shows a, a, a tremendous amount of effort and, and grit. Girl, you got grit. Mm-hmm. Big smile. Come on up. And then we wait. She comes. She's escorted up on stage. She gets the certificate. And she was also a good student. But they wanted to highlight that. See, most people, if you 
if you had a difference or had a child uh, with a, a motor issue or God forbid something worse, more um, a mental challenge, you spend most of your life uh, blaming yourself, constantly wondering what you could have, should have, would have, could have done. And the ones that get it together do that really hard work, which is acceptance. And you don't just sign it off as, well, she's teaching us all a lesson, so isn't that great? Because part of you will always want her to walk normally. Yeah. A miracle here. You always hope for uh, improvement. And sometimes our wish list is only partially uh, given a wink and a nod. Mm. So it goes back to um, well, the, the analogy that you said of the mask um, makes me think of a brilliant, brilliant philosopher and artist and, and, and writer named Rod Serling. Now, in the Twilight Zone episodes, uh, they're all brilliant. Yeah. And I got to meet Rod one night. I was actually uh, 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 smoked a doobie with my brother in uh, in uh, Santa Monica. And he was home on s- summer break. Had the munchies, went and got ice cream, and there was there was Rod Serling. Wow. So we're trying to keep it together. We're all, God, God, God. I don't know, might have been, I don't know, maybe I was 18. I don't know. Point is, we got to talk to him, and... We shared, you know, his great stories, and, and we said, you, you tell great stories, and he talked to us for about 20, 25 minutes. Well, there's a wonderful episode where this guy's going to die, he's an old, he's, and, and all the people that are going to inherit are in the mansion, they're waiting, the doctor's there, and he says, uh, in order to receive your inheritance, and he goes through the list, he calls them all out. Honestly, you, um, when it comes time for me to die, the doctor will let you know when. You, you have to put on a mask, and each mask had a caricature of the continents or the emotional context of the people that they have worked so hard to earn, mm. you see. Yeah. Like the bitter old gal, face all front, and anyway... And then after he dies, they're getting excited because they're going to get all this money. And they take the masks off. And, of course, their faces have morphed into their masks. Mm -hmm. So it's not that that will happen to us in real life. I think it's um, a wise choice to step out of your perspective and look at yourself the way, like candid camera, the way other people see yourself, the way other people. Because I love comedy, I love laughter. Yeah. Um, so, what is light? Um, you know, light is—it's uh, life itself. It's energy. It's uh, photons and all of that science stuff. And, and uh, spiritually, it's—it's uh, um, it's a wellspring, in my opinion. Now, you know, there's people say, well. There always has to be light and dark, you know. Okay, okay. There always has to be good and bad. Okay, okay. Well, 
I've had that conversation with gangbangers and other people in just odd situations where I wound up in the crosshairs of, uh, uh, with a conversation with someone who was compromised mm. and without judgment. They just accepted who they were, and they were an ass-kicking, badass motherfucker. <laughs> they were going to cause grief whenever because they that's what they do. Yeah. Okay. And they threw that out to me. Well, you know, there's good and there's also bad. I said, okay. There's good, there's bad. What if this vertical line is a scale? You can still have the disparity between the good and the bad. Why don't we just raise the whole conversation up to scale a little bit? Mm. You can still be equally bad compared to, you know, the alternative. Right. But if, if, if the worst transgression causes less injury, that might be a good way to go. You can still, you know, strut. Right. And, and hold your head high. And, and someday I hope that you can have a, uh, uh, an epiphany. Um, but I, 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 I've given up on judging people, yeah. but I do observe people mm. and I try to avoid harmful situations and I try to help when I can, uh, others to at least pull the curtain a little bit, like in the tarot. Uh, the the weight deck is the one I, I I studied and I that's the only one I read and, and throw down and when uh, the high priestess is seated there's a tarot and then the, her veil is partially covering it meaning there's more enlightenment and more is to be revealed when you're ready to receive yeah I, I, we've all gone round and round with friends and family and associates that we see what we know or compile in our head, and a lot of times we're correct, th th this will help them. And they'll even say, yeah, I will, but I just can't get there. Don't know how, I, I don't know when, I, there's other stuff in the way, I'm not going to tell you, whatever the reason. Yeah. So it's, uh, okay, um, I wish you a better day. Sometimes that's all you can do. Absolutely. That's so well said, and thank you for, for saying that, because I had a very hard time with that um, early on when I started working with other people in this field, and then when my books started coming out and I started speaking at more conferences and leading more workshops and just teaching, you know, I wanted to save everybody, and, uh, you know, because I, I've lost so many people to overdoses and suicides and just tragic circumstances taken well before their time. You know, I, I still have a bit of survivor's guilt uh, to this day even, you know, and um, wh why am I alive and they're not? But really? You know, yeah, sometimes. And after 20 years of therapy. Um, why do you think that way, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, really. I'm, I work on it. I work on it every week. I mean, it's gotten a lot better. Um, what, what, I, what I'll say to that is my gratitude comes from I loved your straight line when you said that, because that made me think of. I'm not saying the same thing as you hear, but I look at um, a pendulum, for example, um, as a metaphor, 
and before my practice and not me, I, anybody really, um, the pendulum just swang and each side sure. represented our emotions, our life experience based on life. But as we begin to practice and become more aware of ourselves, whether it's meditation or yoga or tarot or farming or whatever it is that gets us more in touch with ourself, with the universe, with the interconnectedness of all things, we start to, you know, realize that connection. And I find that that pendulum, which is swinging like this, the more you go deeper in, you go higher up that straight line. So the pendulum still swings, but it's not swinging as far to the right or the left. Um, Correct. So anyways, I was just mentioning that because um, of what you said, but where was I going with what I was saying? Um, I had well, somewhere. We were talking about uh, the sliding scale of uh, the, I would say the the realm of our of the available choices. Mm, yeah. Now, at this stage of the game, if someone teased me, and even if I wasn't uh, famous or a celebrity or whatever, and I go, "Ah, oh, I've been, I'm a movie star," you're not. Even if that never happened, mm. just at, at 72 years old and uh, with maturity, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> you don't make certain choices in the same manner anymore. Yeah. Hopefully. I know people have spent their whole lives uh, making choices uh, out of that box of, you know, uh, I have choice. Where's my box of choices? Uh, it's yeah. getting pretty tattered, but no, I'm going. Uh, it's my go-to. It's the paradigms, so, yeah. Sure, it's like uh, I had a very dear friend in the '80s who was uh, addicted to cocaine and had um, spent about six months with with that person. I want and. Um, Boy, uh, incredible person, but addicted. Unfortunately, uh, depending on, or fortunately, depending on your uh, perspective, uh, she could go downtown LA to the docks when it came straight over pure from from down south. And I've been going through a very powerful depression. A very dear friend of mine, the last, it's in my book, but the last time I saw her, we went camping at the beach and went surfing. And then the next morning, uh, we were having breakfast, you know, camping out at the beach in Malibu, uh, up the coast. And she was going to graduate from UCLA. She was seeing a guy who had wealthy parents, wanted a grandchild, and he was going to ask her if he had asked her if she would marry him. She was a very free spirit, and I knew the answer would be, no, I can, I still love you, but I'll always love you, and I, and I uh, honor our time together, but I'm just, I just, I'm not someone who's going to be married. Mm. And I go, wow. Now, I never met this person uh, or anything, and I uh, said, well, uh, what are you going to do? She said, I'll just be honest. I said, well, so Good choice. About yeah. uh, four hours later, my brother uh, um, found me because at that time uh, um, I, I was crashing on people's couches. I, I couldn't live in the house I grew up in. My dad was ill. My mother threw everybody out, which is not important. But um, So I, I lived at campgrounds and at the beaches and various places in the hills where we had four-wheel drives and camper shells and trucks, and we could hide until the helicopters or cops finally said, you got to go somewhere. Anyway, so 
my brothers found me and said, um, Anne's in the hospital. And I go, okay, let's go. And we went, and it was UCLA, and uh, he had shot her in the head. And we were talking to the doctors and, and the family were there and they said, we, you know, if she was conscious, that we would have permission to even be there. And I just knew, you know, my dad was a brain surgeon. I'd have two years of vet, uh, medicine in college. And I just knew it was lights out. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, when she came home, the detectives were there and they said, well, um, she came home to his apartment and was sleeping on the couch and then he shot her and then shot himself. And I, I, I don't even need to try to explain the, the wealth, uh, the emotions and everything that goes on in a situation like that. And the doctors were saying, uh, you, you can't say goodbye. It's not a pretty, it's not a pretty sight. And then I heard her voice and I took her energy to the beach and uh, went surfing body surfing with her so there are highs and lows in life and there are like special people that we meet and they're special for reasons that are innate. We don't have to write an essay to someone to explain. The manner in which we say their name in a conversation about someone that this other person I'm speaking to has never even met Mm. conveys so much. It, it takes me back to a, a wonderful scene in a movie, one of my favorite scenes of all time, to a, my dear friend who passed away. We le- he left us a couple of years ago, Rutger Hauer. Oh, yeah. yeah. We became uh, very close. We only saw each other maybe twice a year at conventions. We'd spend a, a lot of time talking. Uh, Joe, Joe Dante, of course, the uh, director, uh, Blade Runner. Yeah. Ridley. I never met Ridley, but he ad-libbed. He wrote his his death uh, scene. Oh, wow. And when I met Rutger the first time, we were having dinner, and at the appropriate moment, we, we, we had been discussing Blade Runner and Hitcher and life and pets and animals and friends and loved ones. And, and I said, uh, I'm going to do something. Tell me if I'm close. And I, and I did that soliloquy that he did. I don't know if it was a soliloquy, but it, that... That scene, yeah. I've seen things, and and it's just so beautiful. Yeah, and uh, I mean the whole scene is probably one of the best scenes in all cinema, mm. one of them anyway, in my top ten. And he just just a smile on his face is just like they should eat and grin. And he says, "Yeah, that's right on, brother." <laughs> so, as he says in. And that, when Joe Turkle's talking to him and he says, you know, the, the candle that burns twice as bright lasts half as long. Same thing with Brandon Lee. We had spent many, 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 we would spend maybe, I was there about a month filming and, and we spent one-on-one time in his motorhome 
we share stories about our, our family growing up, life in general, philosophy, played music. He had learned to play the guitar and he, and he was working on something and uh, we became very close and we were really looking forward to the scenes that we never got to film. Mm, yeah. And uh, he was wonderful. Again, uh, taken away too soon. I can't tell you how many times, you know, people say, you know, do you believe in the family curse or believe? I says, uh, dude, I'm not even gonna. Next question. Yeah. yeah. Next question. Well, what was he like? Thank you for that question. Yeah. yeah. And and I can tell you, if you want to know what he was like, well, athletically, just watch when he jumps over the headstone. It's it's. I watched him do that take. It was really cold and miserable uh, in, in Wilmington. And I watch him barefoot as his feet are digging into the mud and his foot is sliding backwards, but I could see him dig his toes in to get the traction to clear the headstone the exact same distance every single time, even though the takeoff point would, was moving while he was making the effort. Very athletic. Wow. Well, he also had a wonderful spirit. My dear friend, Rochelle Davis, who played Sarah, the, the girl with the uh, skateboard. We, she's a single mom and uh, doing the best she can. She's lovely. We keep in touch. Love her dearly. Mm. And, um, you know, there's that scene where Brandon says, you know, can't rain all the time. You know, he said it better. But just in little moments, and... There is a scene with the trick-or-treaters walking past him after he, uh, I think after he says heroin is bad for you to her mother, which is an incredible, that was a local actress, a tremendous scene, tremendous scene on her, on her part, tremendous scene. She's so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You you can't convey a, a scene as an artist, an actor, a person, a human being, a sentient being. And and fake it. Well, I, I learned how to do this in drama class. Yeah. Or no, no, you have to live the moment. And there are moments at, at various times when an actor, an artist, has that opportunity. And I always say, please take advantage of them. And please, in film, know your know what a lens does. Know your framing. Know what it's looking like. You know, catch the light. All of that technical stuff. But it's like when I told Brandon that when his father, Bruce, uh, was talking about Lao's time and I think one uh, of the end of the Dragon movies, and, uh, and he tells the boy to kick him, and then he goes, not in anger, <laughs> emotional content. And, and I did that whole scene for Brandon. He, it's just, all it was was teeth and smiles and these sparkling eyes, and he just goes, because because Michael, that was that was right on. Uh, uh, you know, so we we hit it off really well. So it's emotional content. So back to the scene at night when he's walking down the sidewalk and a trick or treat turns, and the trick or treaters walk past him, and he turns to this starts with his side profile and he turns and looks at them, and the camera catches his beautiful smile. Something as nuanced and small as that speaks hugely because 
if you're aware enough to see the countenance of the face, you can see more than an actor doing a scene. Mm-hmm. You can see a gentle, powerful, honest, white light soul that is that is just opening up all of the floodgates within their spirit. All the chakras are open. It's just it's flowing. And it's not leaving their body and flowing out. It's emanating from us from a from a pulsating generative generation. It's a generator. You're you're creating. You're creating, and and that is energy that is out to be shared. So it's the little moments that just knock my socks off. Mm. So you know, I I know we're we're almost at an hour, but there's two things I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about. If you have a little time, I don't mind going over. I have the time. I've done all my outdoor duties. All right, great. <laughs> so so you know, you've talked a little bit about sci-fi and how that you had such a passion for that as early on and you still do. And, um, you know, obviously you're very well known for a lot of horror movies you've done amongst a wide body of work outside of that as well. Um, I was, and am a horror fan since a child and it's meant so much to me. And it wasn't until later on, especially when I started with a meditation practice and, and, you know, becoming more intimate with myself that I started to recognize why, horror meant so much to me, you know, projecting, like Jung would say, I would project a lot of things onto Michael Myers, you know, wearing the mask, the, the shape, you know, I, I resonated with that. And, um, just the genre as a whole, I find there's so much to be taken from that in a positive way. I'm not saying across the board, cause similar to you, those splatter fests, I mean, I get the grindhouse thing. It's fun or funny for people, but you know, horror, it, it's, it's just such a beautiful thing to me. And, and really. Uh, has taught me so much. And when people hear me talking about that, because, you know, I write these quote unquote books that you'll find in the spirituality section of Barnes and Noble, and I'm talking about horror movies in them, and I'm writing for Fangoria confuses a lot of people. Like, how can you, you're talking about meditation, but you love horror movies. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're wonderful. So my question is, I'd love to get your perspective on what you think the horror genre, and I know this is kind of a blanket statement because there's so many elements to the horror genre, but, um, you know, the films like, let's say even recently, I, I've been loving things like Jordan Peele's coming out with some socially aware stuff to me, kind of piggybacking on Romero. You know, he did all the dead series were very socially aware. And, um, I had the wonderful fortune of sitting with George 10 years ago and really going into that. And what a beautiful man, you know, and I sat down yeah. with, with Ken Foray last October. We had a 15 minute interview schedule. We, we talked for an hour and a half. Like I love Ken. He's, he's my brother. Ah, he, he, uh, Ken, Ken is awesome. Uh, yeah. uh, when we do a panel, occasionally I have to take the microphone from him, <laughs> but no, Ken's very, uh, he, he knows what he's talking about. Oh, yeah. he, he knows why it's an important genre. Yeah. I mean, uh, um, all of the uh, Living Dead series, uh, <laughs> you know, people are going, well, you know, I mean, he's talking about, uh, you know, um, mercantile behavior. He's, he's talking about social awareness. Uh, um, he's talking about uh, unfulfilled human beings that have to consume and, and purchase and buy and get credit and be validated. 
so commerce is is one thing, but it's gotten to the point to where I could talk for days on uh, 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 what I've seen different between when I was surfing and, and scuba diving in my younger days to how the oceans are almost dead now. I mean, yeah. uh, Mother Earth is it's just not a hippie concept, people. Uh, it's it's your mother. Yeah. Do you accept it or not? And uh, uh, you want to go to Mars and colonize? Yeah, you go for it. But in the meantime, there's a lot of work to do. One of my uh, biggest complaints is the short attention span of our, quote, leaders. And Dwight D. Eisenhower, five-star general, president of the United States, uh, uh, for all you younger kids, uh, uh, he was quite an amazing person. He warned us that our biggest challenge would not be communism or totalitarianism. Our biggest challenge would be the military-industrial complex. Mm. Now, I did two years of ROTC because my draft number was 12. My heat issues, of course, uh, I was unacceptable uh, to be in the service because I uh, my body just couldn't take certain situations. Mm. But I was, uh, as far as weapons, I was reloading when I was 12, about 12, 10, year, about 10 or 12 years old. Had an NRA card, qualified expert with the M1, 30-06 Garand, can still field strip one right now. So I'm an old hippie that didn't have hair. Liberal, what does that really mean? Right. It means uh, I, I want to few more sprinkles on my Sunday, make it be liberal with it. It's the H factor, humanity. We're all in this together. Mm. Uh, let's get along. And the, I actually uh, worked for Bob, Bob Dylan for two years as one of his guards. Wow. It, wasn't, it wasn't fancy. We, we weren't trained, trained. It was just, you know, walk around, keep the nuts away. Yeah, I was, I was licensed to carry. Uh, I had to make one arrest one night. Some crazy person was trying to break into the house while he was on tour. And then she had someone that had uh, some guys she picked up at the bar said, hey, yeah, some of those guitars. I'm, in sex, I'm his ex-wife. Uh, you know, I'll treat you really good. You help me go break in and get those guitars. Oh, she was lying. <laughs> and then uh, I had to arrest him in a, in a, in a uh, impolite manner when he you know, pulled out a big old sword. Mm, wow. So. My point of saying that is been around situations. So um, where were we 30 seconds ago? We were going into the horror genre and how it relates to life and what we can learn from it. Yes. So Bobby wrote some really amazing songs. And I got to meet him at the Santa Monica Civic. And the reason I mentioned I worked with him at his home for two years, simply because I had an opportunity to, to, to say to Bob when he came back from being on tour, I had uh, my brother and I had dogs. He didn't pay much, 10 bucks an hour. So we lived in our trucks, crashed at people's couches and camped out at the beach a lot. Well, he didn't have a dog. We gave him one of ours. He grew up and he got more dogs down the line. He called him a hero. Uh, 
Um, and here comes Bobby in the morning coming out to say hi and ask me some questions about what made noises. You know, why were the geese making noise? And I said, well, uh, you know, coyote jumped over the fence and the dog ran him off. He goes, oh, I might need to get a dog. And uh, so we had a lot of conversations. And then one day I said, Bobby, I was at the Santa Monica Civic with my brother-in-law that made me wear a tie. And you were performing in the first half, you were all acoustic. Well, after about five minutes, because he was a Marine, he said, you know what, we need to lose these ties. We look really lame. You know, okay, thanks. And then you came out with Clyde King, some gospel singers, and electric guitar. And we booed you for about two songs. You were playing some songs and, and you were electrified and we were folkies and you looked sad. You looked upset because we were sitting right up front. Yeah. Then you did all along the watchtower. Oh, yeah. And it blew my brain. It, and, and we all stood up and threw a ton of love. Do you remember that? And all I saw was a big smile. And he's going, yeah, man. He says, I was a nervous wreck. I didn't know what was going on. He says, you were there? And I go, yeah, I was there. I said, that was awesome. And I said, I want to thank you for the Masters of War song. Mm -hmm. See, when I was a senior in high school, we got to go work for $25 an hour, I believe it was, on Fridays. I made it, I think, for two or three weeks. And we were in cubicles with these old computers, and it's a real simple game. Here's a river and here's a road it goes around and you can cross the bridge uh, without stopping. If you go the short route, there's another trucking company and sometimes you have to wait for them to pass. If you can negotiate the game and get the most deliveries, then you win and next week you'll come back for another game. Okay, strategy. After doing this, I could have been an A student, but I, de I dealt with being teased and just being different and not fitting in, but I had friends. We would go to Zucky's, a 24-hour uh, Jewish deli, and we would all sit down and we would compare our notes, how we made our choices. And because we couldn't communicate with one another, we, we came out with matrices as to how we would behave and how we would make our choices depending upon what the questions were. So we were all in sync. About two more weeks go by, and, we, and they keep whittling the field down. And then they invited us all into a room, and they, with a big smile, they said, oh, we love what you're doing. You're smart. You're the kind of brains and the kind of people we need in the Pentagon. Well, of course, we told them to fuck off because we, you know, we, we listened to Bob Dunn, we, we peace. And we also understood the military-industrial complex, that five-star general, president of the United States, mm -hmm. Dwight D. Eisenhower, Supreme Allied Commander, kids, look it up. That how I segue that into here we are now at that intersection. And the company was uh, Systems Development Corporation in Santa Monica. I think they're a sister company to the RAND Corporation, mm -hmm. which also we drove by all the time. Yeah. And my father being a doctor, he, a lot of his patients worked in a lot of different areas, including those areas. And I knew, as did a lot of people, that the concept of the never-ending war goes back to sci-fi and horror genre and books and stories. Okay. 
So, you mean to tell me there are people investing in weapons to fund every side of a conflict and then we'll give one side better weapons for more money? You telling me people cause death and pain and suffering on purpose? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why Bobby says in that song, and I can't wait, uh, I can't rest until I know that you're dead. They are evil. Now, before you start waving the flag and telling me that, uh, well, I'm not going to go there. A certain person is fantastic. I'll just say this. If I was with someone who was on the other side of the political spectrum in a situation and we were attacked, I would stand right next to my friend or my acquaintance and say, brother, I'm here to the bitter end. I'm here with you. We bleed the same color. We care about our families. That's what's most important. So don't buy into that which separates us. And it's not a purchase. It's an investment, my friends. Your investment in your days that you have left on this planet are very precious. Now, I've never really studied meditation, meditation, and my sister's a Buddhist monk, and I'm sure that she can do it better than me. <laughs> but it's not a better, no. shed, a better shed of cheddar. There you go. That's a good one. I know how to, like in the Eagle song, learn, I've learned to be still. Mm. Some days are more challenging than others. Uh, I, I really felt it and appreciated it uh, when I was in the ocean and, and scuba diving under, under the sea or being in a wave. I, I, a boogie board, yeah. Standard board, I, I fall off. But body surfing, when that wave has got you tucked in and, and you're just going for the ride, it's wonderful. I got to surf for 40 minutes approximately with a family of sea otters. Wow. It was a spiritual experience. No doubt. Actually cut underneath me in a wave looking up like, yeah, yeah, you're a hairless seal. Look, I can do it on my back underneath you. It was delightful. There are certain things that, that just harm my core. Don't break it. Trophy hunting. Mm. People going out and, and killing an elephant. Mm-hmm. Some horrible... Bipedal, I'll call this supposed to be called humans, went out and, and killed the two albino giraffes. Yeah. People killed rhinoceroses. Trophy hunting, if you're a trophy hunter, there is something wrong with you. Now, before you get all huffy and puffy and say, I have the right, blah, 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 <laughs> you don't. Extinction is forever. Yeah. Now, there's a place called the Winchester House, which is haunted, and of course it's haunted. And it's haunted for one particular reason, I'm sure. I've shared this story with many Native Native American elders. You have East Coast, West Coast, you have greed. You have indigenous people that fed you. You broke every treaty. Now, I'm kind of mirroring the, the songs and the information you get from a wonderful Choctaw Native American named Buffy St. Marie. Mm. Kids, if you're under the age of 50... Buffy hyphen 
Saint Marie. Listen to some of her songs. They're really good tunes, plus they have content, emotional content. And they're groovy to listen to. Joni Mitchell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the Eagles, I know one of my brothers thinks they're just corny. They're not. Yeah. So, you have East Coast, West Coast. A government says we need to golden spike it. So, if we need to conquer it, so you lay down track, you get a mile, one square mile on, on both sides of track, no matter where you lay track, plus mineral rights. So, they laid, they laid track everywhere. We need people to pound uh, pound spikes and, and do this. Oh, the Chinese, cheap labor. Yeah, okay, fine. It was a monumental effort. But in the process of doing that, there were moments across the plains where they couldn't lay track because there was bison as far as you could see. Migratory people, nomadic slash migratory people that follow the food which is the bison, they provided everything. Bones for tools, clothing, food, religious ceremony, you name it. It's part of their culture. Yeah. Well, we decimated them, and we owe them forever. Aho to all my brothers and sisters. So, here's a train in a Pullman car with no air conditioning, probably good grub, pretty good food. Well, maybe not. They didn't have refrigeration. Maybe it's ice. They're swatting flies. And they look, they're out on an adventure. Sure they are. Must have been amazing. But nobody bothered to work with the Native Americans. Matter of fact, they would, you know, you know, give them some wood, give them some fire water, and we'll turn them against one another. Well, that's a whole different uh, uh, DNA issue propensity for alcoholism. That's a whole different issue, which was taken advantage of. And yes, there's good and bad in every society. Not saying there isn't. But what happened, Mr. Winchester? They, they wanted to keep laying track. They're burning coal while they're waiting, waiting, waiting. How do we get, how do we get these bison out of the way? Well, we got a whole boxcar with a million rounds of ammunition. So for fun and games and entertainment, rich people and prospectors alike and investors pumped lead into an ocean, a sea of bison, mm. slaughtered them so wealthy people could be more wealthy. Hey, we're the Carnegies, we're this, we're that. If Carnegies, I don't know if you were part of that or not. I'm not. I'm just saying, the billionaire and trillionaire class, a lot of that is blood money. They could have done different with it, but that would mean have to mean that savages uh, actually had a soul. Why well, don't you just love that re religion that's so convenient? Mm -hmm. So, we talk about light and a lot of people salute and say we conquered the west we did a fantastic thing at what cost at what cost you never owned your choices you never owned your behavior you never owned honestly what you did 
just saying. So if light illuminates an environment and you have contrast, you also have the shades of gray. And unfortunately, I believe that most, too many people live in the shades of gray. And how they got there is as different, it's a numerical difference as however many humans uh, that we're talking about. Many ways you got there. My dad was an alcoholic. My mother uh, was a druggie. Uh, uh, I was always, I've always known poor. I was told not to excel. There's always, it's not an excuse. It's not even a reason. It's an influence. And there were many times for me uh, where I never knew where my life was going to end up. I was going to homestead in Alaska. I figured that would be, it's the last unspoiled zip code. Yeah. I figured I, I would meet some, some gal up there that really had the same thoughts and appreciation of nature and the beauty of nature that I did. That's why I love science. I just love nature. Uh, and we're part of nature. We go back to the earth. I would like to be cremated and uh, take out, the, you know, give, give me a room with a view. Yeah. Hill with a view. Um, I know some tribal societies put a little in, in some gruel and everybody eats it. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't think I'm keen on that. But and I want my friends to have, sit down and watch, a, you know, watch a maybe a classic Turner classic horror movie and then um, maybe something really really funny. Um, my checkout reel would be Emerald Forest, Doc Hollywood. Um, Oh, um, Evil Dead, oh, and uh, maybe a bunch of shorts, something funny. So it's sad to see areas where people are in the gray zone. If if you're solid in the black, you're pretty easy to read. And if you're in the gray zone, it's not that you're not an easy easy read. It's that I don't know where you, how you will make choices in a situation. Because in the military, for instance, everybody is uniform. So we know when they say jump, everybody jumps in the same manner for a reason. So in society, yeah, we don't want automatons, but just a little more consciousness would be handy. In, in the movie They Live, I miss your brother. I mean obey that whole thing is yeah i wonder when i see uh, uh people with stickers on their cars say obey i wonder if they actually are have seen the movie yeah i wonder too sign of the times it's uh, uh that movie couldn't be more apropos for today but <laughs> so michael I, I you know wow i thank you so much i have a, a million more questions i want to talk to you about so that just means and then i'm gonna probably go get some ice cream yeah no but i'm thinking i'm gonna have to talk to judy to have you back on the show sometime i know you're very busy but i want to you know just well uh, a lot of shows got canceled a lot of films got canceled i'm just uh i've been doing a lot of yard work lately and i promised promised uh, my wife that i would work on my final rewrite on on my book awesome. so yeah i have to get it done yeah so that's all things i want to talk about and 
I, I'm going to uh, see if we could set up another conversation because I want to talk about your farm and organic farming. Yeah, there's so much we didn't get to, but I thank you for everything we did. And this, I'm going to consider this as part one because um, there's so much more I want to talk with you about. And I just, you know, I enjoy listening to you so much. You're incredibly intelligent, wise, heart-centered, compassionate, and uh, just an inspirational human. And uh, I'm honored to share this time with you. And um, I, yeah, just thank you so much, Michael. Well, thank you, Chris. And uh, I'll leave you and your viewers uh, with something that uh, um, I, I, I kind of, this sort of came to me uh, in an epiphany a long, long time ago. Hmm. Okay. It, it, so you have three, fi three fingers pointing back to yourself. You got one pointing out and one up. I'm trying to get my frame out of a little tiny window. Yep. So whatever you put out, you're going to come back at least threefold. Mm. So be aware of that. But you don't initiate it unless you have the thumb. And to me, the thumb is your inspiration to do the action. Mm. So know where the energy is coming from if you're going to use that energy to, to, to create an action. And there is a lot, there's a lot of energy out there that you might not want to um, absorb. Um, you know, cults, Jim Jones comes to mind. The mind-forged manacles come to mind. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, I, I got to leave you with a real uh, uh, piss and vinegar one. All right. And this is something you can all do. If they ask you why you did it, please don't mention my name. <laughs> Later night, televangelist. I survived Catholic school. I've been to the Vatican. I know their history. So don't, don't tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. I know survivors. I'm a survivor. I've known ex-nuns. I've Yes, so... If you say I'm wrong, I'm telling you, I'm not. I'm telling it straight. So, um, the carpenter never wanted a lot of gold in buildings. He hung out with prostitutes and the poor and the destitute, and a shared meal was more valuable and more carpenter-like than uh, having a big cathedral with all that money and stuff. And, you know, they don't pay taxes, and they always want more. It's never enough, never enough. Right. So late at night, flip the channels, and you'll find, you'll find them there, the scum of the earth. And all those people on TV that are, ah, and all that stuff, they're all paid. It's all BS. So I've done this on more than one occasion. They want your money, and they're going to do all these things, or the Holy Spirit will do all these things on your behalf. And they are the intermediary between, you know, there is no intermediary. That's why the, uh, somebody gave us the Lord's Prayer. We don't need a church to teach us how to pray. So I call them up, and I go, hi, are you live? Yes, we're live. I'm watching you right now. Now, there's a guy who's talking there. And he's saying all this stuff, and I'm rich, I'm going to die soon, I have no heirs, and you're doing the Lord's work. I want to give you all my money, I want to have my, uh, 
Just a, hang on, I gotta take this. No, go right ahead. Hey, kiddo. Okay, um, I'm just I'm just finishing up a, an incredible interview, so uh, uh, no, no, it's all good. So uh, uh, call me in ten minutes. Let me know what, what's going on. All right, love you, bye. So I told a lie. I misspoke. It wasn't true. I said what I said. I said, hi, I'm rich. Not true. Um, on death's door, not true. I'm going to have my lawyers uh, bring over powers of attorney so you can have all my money, and I'm worth $1.3 million. I want it to go to, go to, go to your, uh, um, uh, what do they call those networks? Uh, uh, church. Yeah, your church, uh, ministry. Oh, ministers, thank you. Your ministry. They go, wow, that's very excellent. Bless you, bless you, and all this gobbledygook. I go, okay, but I want to know that you're alive. So I want the guy in the brown jacket to walk over and whisper in the ear of the guy in the green jacket. And they do, they do that. Mm. They come back, and the person's really nice and polite. And he goes, okay, um, so uh, how do you want to make the transfer of the money? And I said, well, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> How about if I just give you the passcode, and 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 I'll I'll call my <laughs> my accountant right now and make sure it'll go through, and it'll be in your bank in the morning. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. The Holy Spirit compels you, and all this bullshit. Here are the numbers. You have a pen? Yes. Oh yes, brother. Yes. God bless you. Bless you. Seven seven three. Four, uh, sir, I think we need more numbers. No, no, that's all the numbers you need. But that's, that, that, that's not an account number. But those are all the numbers you need. Did you write it down? Yes, I did. Is there a mirror, Klaus? Uh, hang on. Yeah, yeah, there's a mirror. Hold it up to the mirror. What does that spell? Well, that spells hell. And that's where you're going. Well, why did you lie to me? You committed a sin. You lied. I said, no, I didn't. Yeah, I told an untruth to save lives. As someone who's desperate like you, you reel them in every night. You take whatever you can from them, and you have no shame. You are evil. And I did what I did and wasted 25 minutes of your time because I thought maybe the Holy Spirit would intervene when someone called who was going to give you money for your evil, foul purposes, and because I was on the phone. God bless you, you evil son of a bitch. So that's kind of fun to do. <laughs> wow. So, uh, peace out, kids. Have fun with that. Remember, I didn't tell you to do it. <laughs> This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? 
Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.